this is an incredibly important time. It's a time um, where, you know, after a crisis, during a crisis, promises are made. There are incredible promises of, of reform and change. And so it, it is a time that's filled with incredible opportunity, but there is 200 years of history and that's a lot to overcome. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana College of Business. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. Today, we bring you three amazing and important voices. Dina Manzur and Jermaine White from the Maureen and Mike Mansfield Center here at the University of Montana, as well as Heidi Wallace from Empower Montana. These three women are doing important work to promote diversity and inclusion and to build a more just society. It was an honor to speak with them and learn more about their work and experiences. This was a deeply moving conversation, and I am excited for you to hear it right now. Okay, so we're here today with Dina Manzer, Executive Director of the Marine and Mike Mansfield Center, Jermaine White, who's Director of Native Engagement at the Mansfield Center, and Heidi Wallace, who's the Executive Director of Empower Montana. Great thanks to the three of you for joining us today. Dina, let's start with you. What's, um, let's, let's educate listeners a little bit. What is the Mansfield Center? What do y'all do over there? Well, Justin, thank you so much for having us all here today. It's it's an honor. We uh, know how well respected this podcast is in the community and throughout the country. So it's really our honor to share the work of the Mansfield Center as one of the leading units here at the University of Montana. And our work is to support justice, diversity, and the dignity and rights of all persons. Um, I'd like to start a bit by talking about the mission of the Mansfield Center, but also how my personal circumstances inform my leadership. Sure. Um, I'm the child of Muslim Egyptian immigrants, and I lead from a place of having lived the immigrant experience as a Muslim and as a person of color. Uh, My parents immigrated here to the U.S. in the 60s, and I was born in Indianola, Iowa, and also lived in other small towns like Oxford, Mississippi, and Laramie, Wyoming. Hmm. And in each of these places, we were obviously welcomed by the essential goodness of our neighbors and my parents' colleagues. Um, But at the same time, I do have stark memories of racism in each of these places. In Oxford, Mississippi, as a young child of seven on a school bus, I remember a book being slammed down on my head and being called a sand nigger, and the driver doing nothing to stop this frequent bullying. Hmm. So since that time, um, I joined the United the U.S. Foreign Service. I've had a 30-year career in international education and diplomacy um, and doing things like serving our country in Indonesia, the world's most populous Muslim country. So I came to the Mansfield Center about 10 years ago, um, given that context of being immersed, immersed in international engagement, in human rights, in justice and diversity. Um, and it's really my honor to serve that mission here And to go back to your question, what the Mansfield Center does is to honor the life's work of Maureen and Mike Mansfield in integrity, ethics, and mutual understanding between people. Um, And I'd like to talk a bit about Mike Mansfield because he has quite an amazing background, really as the leading diplomat to have come out of the state of Montana. 
And he began as a juvenile delinquent, really. He was born in New York. His mother died at, uh, when he was quite young, and he was sent to Great Falls, Montana, to live with his aunt and uncle. Um, he ran away from home a number of times, uh, was sent to live in a juvenile home, um, but eventually lied about his age when he was 14 to join the military. Um, he served overseas. He served for three branches of the military. Um, and eventually came back to work in the copper mines of Butte. He married a young woman named Maureen, who knew that he could do more, that she um, encouraged him to get his high school equivalency. He came here to the University of Montana, finished his degrees, and was a professor of both Far Eastern studies, but also Latin American studies. He went on to become our nation's longest serving Senate majority leader as well as our nation's longest serving ambassador to anywhere in the world. He was selected by both Presidents Carter and Reagan to serve as the U.S. ambassador to Japan. So while he was um, at the helm of the Senate, he was responsible for really critical legislation, and that includes the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Mansfield was known to despise racism. He viewed the Civil Rights Act as a starting point to remedy racial problems, even though many of his constituents back here in Montana held demonstrated mixed views on civil rights legislation. And he said, great public issues are not subject to our personal timetables. They do not accommodate themselves to our individual preference or convenience. They emerge in their own way and in their own time. He went on to say that racial inequities are among the oldest and most dangerous faults in the structure of this nation. What we do here in the 88th Congress will not of itself correct these faults, but we can and must join the wisdom, the collective wisdom of this body to the efforts of others in this nation to face up to them for what they are, a serious erosion of the fundamental rock upon which the unity of the nation stands. So this really feeds into the work that we are doing um, to support justice, diversity, and the dignity and rights of all in representing the University of Montana. And which is why I'm grateful to have both Jermaine and Heidi here today because they've done so much work to support the Mansfield Center in these efforts. Absolutely, Dina, thank you for not only that personal history, but the history of the, of the Mansfield Center. So much history in there that I, I just don't think the that many of our listeners are aware of, and many on our, our campus as well. So, um, yeah, thank you for elevating that. And Jermaine, you work within the Mansfield Center, as we said, Director of Native Engagement. Uh, after a long, you, you know, came to the University of Montana after a long career um, with the Confederated Salish and Kootenai Tribes. Jermaine, can you talk a little bit about your personal background in this space and uh, the work you do with the Mansfield Center? Thank you, Justin. Thank you for inviting me to be here, be here today with you. Uh, thank you, Dina, for that introduction. Um, I worked for about 35 years for the Confederated Salish and Kootenai Tribes, first in cultural resources and then in natural resources. I've recently retired and um, have the great honor to um, work with Dina and the Mansfield Center. And I think that it's appropriate to begin with a sense of history. I believe it's time that we have a more truthful and balanced telling of, of history. 
that includes not only the history of genocide and removal of tribes from their homeland, forced assimilation of children, but a legacy of violence toward Native Americans in this nation. Mm -hmm. Um, We have uh, not only the highest rate of violence, but also the highest poverty and suicide rates in the country. So the work that the Mansfield Center is doing is incredibly critical. I think that it's a time where we need more diplomacy, more face-to-face communication and understanding, and less incendiary language. Uh, It's no longer a time to turn a blind eye toward uh, this national crisis of police killings. Um, Native Americans are more likely to be killed by police than any other racial group in the U.S., followed by African Americans, Latinos, whites, and Asian Americans. Um, We comprise 0.8% of the U.S. population, but 1.8% of police killings, that's 3.1 times more likely to be killed um, by police than, than whites. So the staggering history of violence in this nation toward um, American Indians is and Alaska Natives is uh, is chilling. It's a it is a, a legacy that we're working hard to um, to change. Absolutely, and we'll get into some of the dynamics of how you you try to illuminate that change in your work. At this moment, let's let's uh, get you into the conversation, Heidi. As executive director of Empower Montana, let's let's talk about Empower Montana. Tell us about the work that you all are doing. Thank you, Justin. Um, and it was wonderful to hear both from Dina and Jermaine. Um, so thank you for sharing that as an introduction. Uh, yeah, I'm honored to represent Empower Montana for this discussion today. Uh, we are a nonprofit that serves the state of Montana, and we have been around a 20 plus years. And our mission is to create a more just and inclusive society. And we do that by empowering really individual and institutional leadership to end mistreatment, correct systemic inequalities and strengthen communities across the state of Montana. And we really work within three areas, youth and schools, uh, businesses, organizations, and campuses, and community. And so the three of you, I mean, we're, we're, we're having this conversation a couple weeks in the wake of the murder of George Floyd and the associated demonstrations, rebellions, protests, etc. And, you know, you three sit uh, in, in an area where people look to your organizations for some sort of leadership and clarity in this moment. You, you sort of talk about that, Dina, in terms of how, how do you kind of lead the Mansfield Center to, to continue with its mission in general, but also do what's right for the, this particular moment that we're experiencing? Thanks, Justin. You know, I'm so glad that Heidi and Jermaine are here today because they've really been on the forefront of our programs that over the past 10 years, we have been mindfully engaging with diverse populations, not only here in Montana, but across the world. Mm -hmm. So um, what's unusual about the Mansfield Center is even though we are 
um, supportive and in line with the University of Montana's mission and the priorities for action, less than 0.7% of our budget comes from the state. So in effect, this is a bit of an unfunded mandate that we are very entrepreneurial and looking for opportunities that support our work in integrity, ethics, and equal rights. Sure. Uh, quite a bit of our funding of late has come from the U.S. Department of State. So I, I have to give credit to the U.S. government that they have worked very consciously to develop these international opportunities to support diversity and human rights under the Fulbright-Hayes Act. The Fulbright-Hayes Act was passed in 1963 at the height of the Cold War um, when so much of our national budget was being invested in weapons of mass destruction and through the Defense Department. But the Congress um, passed this legislation to say that mutual understanding between people is what was critical to move our world forward. And so this funding through the Fulbright-Hayes Act um, has given us um, $22 million since 2010 to support bringing people together. We do that in a variety of ways through the lens of areas of expertise for the state of Montana, natural resources, environmental studies, um, tourism, ecotourism, uh, workforce development, but in all these programs that may have a theme that relate to Montana's um, better competing in a global economy, the underlying foundation of all our programs is how to develop mutual understanding and respect um, between people. So a significant component of our programs has engaged native populations, which is why Germain has really been integral to supporting our programs at the center. Um, traditionally, Native Americans have been less than 1% of exchange participants on these State Department programs, but with Germain's support, advice, with collaboration of the Confederated Salish and Kootenai Tribal Council, we've been very successful in engaging Native populations. So, for example, we had a high school program that took 20 Montanans to Thailand or Cambodia for a month to study food security and natural resources. In our last cohort of 20, seven of the 20 participants were Native youth. Um, so I'd like to actually turn it over to Jermaine to talk about some of the programs we've done in terms of how she's met with almost every cohort of international fellows that have come to Montana, how she's taken them to the reservation, and how she has personally supported um, Indigenous people coming to the U.S. to learn about sovereignty, but also how she's traveled overseas to support those issues. Thank you, Dina. It has been my great pleasure. And I think that this is an important time when people are filled with sorrow and rage amplified by the global pandemic and economic crisis. I think the heart of America is, is kind of hollowed out. And so mm -hmm. the work that we have done in the past 10 years, um, inviting cohorts from um, Southeast Asia to spend a day with us to spend to meet with our tribal governing council to meet with our natural resource leaders and cultural resource leaders and um, all of the um, with with our tribal legal department and the, um, uh, our economic development team uh, just to be able to spend that time here on the reservation also to spend time with Salish Kootenai College I believe Every one of those groups that came twice a year for the past 10 years has spent time at 
at Salish Kootenai College as well. And that's been an incredibly rewarding um, experience for me personally, but I believe it's been a rewarding experience for the professional fellows that have come from here and that also come here. We provide them an opportunity um, to have open dialogue, to ask questions about issues that they have concerns with. And I, I think that during this time, one of the solutions is more diplomacy and meeting people face-to-face, -face, having those conversations over the lunch table, um, in between meetings, those informal conversations, as well as the formal conversations with, with our tribal council have been incredibly impactful for all of us. Yeah, it's, you know, that that notion particularly resonates now, Jermaine, as I, I think about like how the organization that the three of us work in, Heidi, I don't know how this affects your organization, but just all that's lost in this remote work environment that we're all, we're all trying to navigate and sort of the personal conversations around the water cooler, the personal uh, interactions, the sort of humanity of our work life, um, that creates an important part of, one, the culture, but two, just the kind of fabric of how things get done. Um, Heidi, can you kind of talk about how your organization plugs in here? I mean, I know that um, Empower Montana works with some of the international visitors that come to town through the Mansfield Center, um, and you probably work with some of the students that we that the center works with as well. You talk about how Empower Montana plugs in. Oh, yeah, happily. Uh, well, we have had the wonderful opportunity to train many of the uh, fellows who come to Missoula through the Waisili Exchange. Uh, we do our building inclusive uh, work and service environment training with most of those folks, uh, which is really our training that gives people an opportunity to share personal stories, their personal experiences, uh, what lenses impact their leadership and their participation in the world. It also gives us a chance to really teach and learn from each other about different issues around oppression hmm. that we can share that from like our perspective from Missoula, Montana, or the United States, and really deepen understanding about some of the issues and concerns that um, our fellows are facing in their own countries and communities. And we have been able to be an organizational host and so that gives us an opportunity to work in depth with fellows and uh, share a lot of our best practices, curriculum. Uh, and really, I think you said it, it's that collaborative um, opportunity to engage in mutual understanding, to deepen awareness around systemic issues that are happening across the world and uh, sharing leadership skills for how we can be active in our leadership roles and allyship for creating that transformational change. Sure, Heidi. Can you can you talk about any maybe particularly uh, illustrative stories about 
know, interactions with fellows where, you know, they just sort of saw something for the first time here, here in Montana or, or maybe it went in the other direction that, that you know, stories of, of illumination. Well, I think one of the activities that we do within our trainings is uh, the cycle of oppression and taking a group from the United States that experiences oppression, whether it's uh, women, people living with less than enough, people living with disabilities, um, Native, any BIPOC uh, uh, group, and really kind of share how that system and cycle of oppression plays out Mm -hmm. within misinformation, uh, mistreatment, how it gets institutionalized within our policies and rules and how it gets internalized. And uh, we would do an example up front with um, the group and whether it was less than enough or building off of the learning with our indigenous communities, um, taking indigenous Native American through the cycle. And then asking our fellows who, you know, we've met folks from so many different countries and asking them to choose a group from their own community, their own work, and how that cycle of systemic oppression plays out. And Um, I think that's where there's some really interesting, uh, not only connections, but also surprises, um, how United States um, experiences less than enough resources and poverty is very different than, um, you know, individuals and communities in Myanmar or Thailand. And so that just gives lots of space for that teaching and learning opportunity to better understand and also to be able to share skills and best practices for how we can interrupt that. Super. Now, and Dina, you have a, you have a, a story as well about a, a specific participant that benefited from your programs. Yes, we have so many stories and I, I'd like to speak specifically to one um, a man named uh, uh, Ali who came from Mali in West Africa. He came to Montana as part of a cohort of 20 secondary educators. He's a high school teacher in Mali um, and he was specifically uh, recommended for this program by the U.S. Embassy in Mali because of the work that he does with indigenous populations. Um, Mali is a little known country in West Africa. It's bordered by Senegal and Mauritania. um, And it's right on the um, Saharan desert border. Um, And it's one of these areas uh, which is rife with extreme terrorism. Um, Right next door in um, Niger, there's been a number of girls that have been um, captured mm-hmm. and uh, by the terrorists and taken away from homes. So Ali was um, recommended for this program because of his work supporting indigenous groups in Mali, the Tuareg, the Fulani, the Berabish Arabs. Um, and he has done amazing work in his classroom supporting these indigenous groups. So Ali came with his cohort of 19 other high school teachers from around the world, from Africa, from from Asia, from Europe, from South America. And he was uh, partnered together with Big Sky High School. And he learned specific strategies for supporting um, 
more at-risk kids in our Missoula County public school system. Um, he took lessons back from there. Heidi and her team also met with this cohort. He learned other specific strategies on support, supporting marginalized kids. And then Jermaine hosted he and the cohort up on the reservation. Mm -hmm. And it was shocking to this group to see the level of, level of sovereignty, to see the self-determination that indigenous groups can have in the United States. And the Salish and Kootenai tribes are really on the forefront of these activities. Um, Ali learned from Salish Kootenai College and the work to integrate culture and language into education. He learned from their designation of uh, natural natural wilderness areas. He learned about how they um, took over the, um, the dam up there and, and supported their own hydropower needs. And Jermaine was really integral to that. So when Ali went back to Mali, um, he developed some projects that have supported these young students in his school um, and made a real difference in terms of that empowerment of youth who feel marginalized um, by the dominant society. And I think this really speaks to the work that the Mansfield Center does on behalf of the University of Montana, that someone here from, someone can come here from West Africa, learn uh, demonstrated lessons from what we're doing here in Montana and take them back to make a difference in his classroom. A New Angle is brought to you by First Security Bank and Blackfoot, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. This is Anne Helen Peterson, and I am a senior culture writer at BuzzFeed News, and you're listening to A New Angle. Yeah, I mean, it, it really speaks to the power of kind of bringing all these people together. And, you know, Jermaine, you spoke to this earlier with, the, you know, what happened, these sort of the magic happens when you get people together sharing experiences sharing their backgrounds, creating a common understanding. Uh, Jermaine, you, along those lines, you have a story about um, some of the Mansfield Center uh, leadership training that you've done with women in particular. Can you speak to that? Certainly. Um, it's, it's actually Dina's work and Dina's initiative. But as you know, um, Native women, Alaska Native and Native American women face murder rates more than 10 times the national average. They're 84.3% of um, Native American women have experienced violence in their lifetime, and um, more than half, 56.1% have experienced sexual violence, 55.5% um, have, ex have experienced physical violence by an intimate partner, and missing and murdered Indigenous women, um, this violence and, and discrimination against women in particular are legacies of this country's history of racial injustice. And one of the initiatives that Dina has, um, Dina began, that I think is so profoundly important is a, a young women's leadership program. And she has worked tirelessly. Um, I've assisted in, in recruiting native women for, um, for this program. And she has worked um, really hard to get uh, scholarships and fellowships so that women who might not be able to um, afford this kind of training have it available to them at the university. And I think that I, I can't overstate how powerful and how impactful this kind of training is for um, young Native American women. I think that um, learning the kinds of skills, um, being in a cohort with other women, it's, it's just, it's, a remarkable program. And I, 
I applaud the work of the Mansfield Center, and I'm honored to be part of the team that helps bring Native women to that particular initiative. And I think this uh, this program that Jermaine mentions is a specific action that um, people across Montana and the country can support. This um, Montana New Leadership Program actually came out of an initiative by the Center for American Women in Politics. It's a program that's replicated in nearly every state in the country, and the University of Montana is the only host of this program in our state. We bring together a cohort of 20 um, young undergraduate women every June. Uh, it's usually a residential program this year. Unfortunately, it will be online. But it supports women in taking action in their community, not just in terms of politics, but how to be actively engaged in service and in volunteerism with the community. So there are so many ways that people can get involved in this kind of program. Um, we look for others like Jermaine to help us recruit these women, that we bring in women from Miles City, from Plenty Wood, from each reservation in Montana. Um, and we really welcome people helping to nominate outstanding young women to be part of this program. No previous expertise is needed in terms of leadership or a specific major, um, but anyone who's participating in a two-year program, a tribal college or a college within the Montana University system can apply. Um, we look for speakers and experiences for these women. We are um, at the Mansfield Center truly nonpartisan and interdisciplinary. So we look for people from all backgrounds and interests to um, support these young women in their learning objectives. And of course, we're looking for funding that this program, um, again, is completely supported by donations uh, from people like the listeners of this podcast. Um, so these women, um, we hope that they don't have to pay a dime to participate in this leadership program so that we're truly able to support women from all economic backgrounds in developing these leadership strategies. So Dina, where would you point people uh, who, who, who are uh, wanting to learn more, either to get involved themselves in, in the program or to, to con contribute to uh, making the opportunity available to others? Where would you point them online? We have a comprehensive website. It's uh, umt.edu backslash Mansfield. Uh, there's information on the Montana New Leadership Program on the website, or people can email me directly. Uh, my email address is easily searchable at the UM website as well. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I would love to ask the three of you uh, a, a rather personal question. I mean, Jermaine, you um, highlighted the deep disparities in incidents of, of violence um, directed at uh, at tribal members and female tribal members in particular. Um, Dina, you spoke a little bit about your personal experience. You know, in, on this podcast, you know, let's, let's disclose, I mean, most listeners know this, but I am, you know, a white, straight male. I'm tall. I come from a relatively uh, privileged background. I check a lot of boxes of privilege. And one of the things that... Uh, the Sea Change series that we've done over the last year or so illuminated to me was that I really never had to fear for my own physical safety. And a lot of those conversations um, with various women, um, activists, leaders in, in so many different capacities is that fear for your physical safety is, is kind of just a default setting. And um, I wondered if you, if the three of you would be willing to to speak to your own experience walking through the world that way, if if that sort of fear as a default setting resonates, or 
just how you kind of have experienced it, grappled with it, um, live with it, or maybe you reject the premise. I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing that out there. Um, Jermaine, would you be willing to, to speak to that? Certainly. I think there's a particular acuity. Um, growing up on a reservation, growing up on a reservation that's an open reservation where we are majority landowners, but minority population. Mm -hmm. um, there was always a particular, um, you know, my mother would say, you need to be careful of this person or you need to be careful about that situation and would would warn us as, as young women, um, especially, you know, we were engaged. My, I have a sister that's a mathematician and scientist and, um, you know, we were, we were engaged in community activities, but there were particular, um, particular activities that were um, considered to be quite dangerous. There's also um, the head of the largest uh, Native American hate group um, has, has roots here on the reservation. So um, I, I did grow up with that sense that there were places and situations that, that were not safe. And, and there were times that, that I was um, harassed and disparaged for, for being a Native American person. I think that, um, you know, this is a time when we're beginning to see that, that change needs to happen, through, not just through policy, but through white silence. You know, that, that issue that, you know, you talk about, this was never anything that you experienced personally mm -hmm. or, or didn't observe in your life, but, but it's, it's real it's ongoing, it's, uh, it's alive. And um, I, I think that it's, it's a time that, this is an incredibly important time. It's a time um, where, you know, after a crisis, during a crisis, promises are made. Um, there are incredible promises of, of reform and change. And so it, it is a time that's filled with incredible opportunity, but, there is 200 years of history, and that's a lot to overcome. I think that, um, you know, that maybe as in now as a woman of a certain age, I, uh, I don't have as many of those confrontations that I, or, or those situations I faced where I might have felt unsafe when I was younger. Um, but it's, it's still very much an issue here on the reservation, and I think in other parts of the world as well, as, as Dina talked about earlier. Thank you for sharing that, Jermaine. Uh, that's particularly powerful, and I appreciate it. Um, Heidi, would you be willing to speak with your experience? Yeah, um, and again, just thank you for um, sharing your stories. You know, I, I truly believe that that is a foundation for um, Building those bridges is hearing each other's stories and better understanding our own unique experiences. You know, I'm white, white identity, cisgendered woman. Um, and maybe I've had some fear that's been internalized as a woman. Um, but in the time that we're experiencing right now where our black indigenous and POC community members do not feel safe to even walk down the streets of our own town in Missoula, Montana. It just um, heightens the fact that the lives and the safety of our community members are 
threatened. And it's critical that white identity people put the time, energy, and effort into better understanding how privilege uh, impacts how they move through the world and what we can do as active allies in ensuring that we are transforming our institutions, that we're um, looking deeply at our policies, our practices, our attitudes, our behaviors. We need to commit to building authentic relationships across group lines. And that takes education, that takes being uncomfortable. Uh, that means having challenging and uncomfortable conversations. And for myself, I am a non-Indigenous, sixth generation Montanan. I was born in Wolf Point on the Fort Peck Reservation, home of Sioux and Assiniboine tribal nations. And as a white person, I was exposed early on to uh, the injustices and the racism targeted towards Native community members. And I believe that planted the seed in me for wanting to better understand groups different than me and wanting to commit to social justice. And also it's a lifelong commitment and uh, I make mistakes and I need to, um, you know, welcome those mistakes as learning opportunities that push me even farther out of my comfort zone. And also to create the space for other people to dive into that learning and awareness. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, I think that, you know, that certainly resonates with me. I mean, I, 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 wanna, I wanna try to engage. I wanna try to use this platform that the podcast is to, 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 to do some good, to make contributions, to be a part of the solution. And I certainly know we do and we will continue to make mistakes and to sort of feel like we can continue to do that is, is, is just good to know. Um, Dina, can you talk about, I mean, the Mansfield Center has done such important work, um, you know, enduring good work, but, but right now, I mean, you're doing so much to support the local black community, um, during this crisis. Can you talk about what's going on, um, specifically in that area with the Mansfield Center? Absolutely. You know, um, I just like, would like to quote Mike Mansfield again. Um, he said when they were passing the Civil Rights um, Act of 1964, that the fact is that we do not have two days of urgent work on the problems which have so grotesquely silhouetted against the flaming wreckage in the nation's cities. Mm. The fact is that we have weeks, months, years of relentless and painful work. And that's what the Mansfield Center is invested in, that this is relentless, this is ongoing, this is truly a long game, something that we've been committed to since we were founded in 1983 um, and has continued through the years. As Jermaine notes, Native American issues have really taken the forefront of our outreach because it's such a critical issue and because we have a relatively low population of uh, black colleagues and citizens here in the state. Um, but the fact is that we have worked very mindfully on supporting um, bl our black community here. 
Um, something that people should get involved in is the Black Solidarity Summit. We have been an integral supporter of that Black Solidarity Summit since it began, um, founded by the Black Student Union here at the University of Montana. So there are specific actions that people can take to attend the Black Solidarity Summit, to fund the Black Solidarity Summit, Solidarity Summit to, to fund the work of the Black Student Union. Uh, we bring in a number of speakers regularly. Um, and these are speakers that we find through the course of our programs. As I mentioned, uh, Ali from Mali and his cohort of secondary educators, they stopped in South Carolina. Um, they visited Charleston. They learned about um, issues of civil rights, of slavery, of uh, modern day uh, global trade efforts and from one of the birthplaces of slavery here in the United States. And they were invited into a church, a Baptist church run by uh, Reverend Rivers III. And Reverend Rivers has been an integral part of civil rights efforts for decades. And he was one of the people that was integral in bringing down the Confederate flag that was flying over the state house in South Carolina. So Reverend Rivers agreed to come out to Missoula. He came out last September. Um, and he spoke with hundreds of people across our community. He went to Hellgate High School. He went to Big Sky High School. He had a capacity audience here at the University Center Theater. Um, and he traveled up to the Salish and Kootenai Reservation and he sat down with one of the tribal elders and recorded him for four hours. Um, listening to the native experience and how that paralleled the black experience in the United States. So these are things that we specifically do to engage the black community here. Um, and there are so many ways that people can support us in this relentless and painful work as Mike Mansfield stated. Um, in fact, I was looking back through some of his graduation addresses and, and he spoke with Hellgate High School um, in 1963 and he talked about an increase in human hostility. He said, whatever the compound of fear, lack of understanding, aggressiveness, and arrogance, which has produced this human hostility, it is a most dangerous phenomenon. And he encouraged the Hellgate High School students um, to take action um, in many different ways, in education and supporting um, people of diverse backgrounds in actually voting with your pocketbook and, and using funding. Mm -hmm. um, so things that people have done to support the Mansfield Center and that we would love to encourage people to continue to do um, is to educate themselves to, again, attend the Black Solidarity Summit, um, attend peaceful demonstrations. Um, and for example, right now, actually we're missing this, but the chief of police of uh, the city of Missoula is talking about ways that the police can um, engage with our community. Um, to support people from diverse backgrounds. Um, we, of course, do not have any international visitors coming this summer. That's about 200 people that would have come to Missoula um, and not only provided value, valuable uh, diversification and internationalization, but also invested millions of dollars in our local community. Um, but next summer, we hope to return to that international engagement. We hope to host a group of 25 students from Saudi Arabia, a group of 20 workforce development professionals from around the world, 
And people can support these visitors. We have weekend homestays where we have a pair of these international visitors stay in their home. Uh, we have hundreds of families across the region who have participated in this program and then gone on to visit participants in their home countries. We have uh, Woody and Kathy Wood, who were voted in as Missoula Peacemakers of the Year a few years ago. And they've gone on to visit some of their um, participants in Myanmar, in Cambodia, and in Laos. Um, and certainly funding. Empower Montana and Heidi's organization, um, they're on the forefront of racial equity efforts um, to look at how you can support those efforts. Look at how we can support our partners on, um, in, uh, on the Flathead Reservation to support language and culture programs, to support students at Salish Kootenai College. There are a lot of specific actions that people can take um, when they don't really know what to do at such a time of crisis in our country. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big sentiment that I'm hearing, conversations with, with, with friends who feel agitated that they have to do something, but they're not really sure what to do. And in order for this to be an inflection point, uh, we need to sort of direct that energy and, 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 and fuel it in a way that it endures. Heidi, can you talk about that issue of, of involvement? Like, where would you direct people with that kind of positive energy right now, people that want to be a part of the solution? Mm. Well, I think that one of the first ways that we can be a part of the solution is commit to our own education mm -hmm. and our own learning um, and our own practices and behaviors and let that ripple out to the people closest to us. Um, take it to the next level within your own organization or business or school. And there is... Um, a lot of incredible work going on throughout our community. Uh, there, like Dina said, on campus, there's a Black Solidarity Summit, there's a Black Student Union, uh, there's the Racial Justice Coalition for Missoula. It's called Missoula's Idea for Racial Justice. They are really um, accelerating their efforts to not only build community, but uh, take conversations to our city leaders and really change policy and practices. And, um, and also the young people, like let's give our young people the platform and the opportunity to um, lead. And uh, we're starting a youth group that's specifically for uh, BIPOC, Black, Indigenous and youth of color. And if anyone is interested in that, just check out our social media or website. There's an interest link um, as well as uh, email for the Missoula's Idea for Racial Justice. Super. Uh, Jermaine, can we close with you just speaking about this? How would you direct people that um, come to you and say, hey, I want to help? Thanks, Justin. I'm, I'm delighted to talk about that. Um, I think that this is a time for a more honest and balanced telling of, of this story. And I think, uh, as I said, a time to deescalate the incendiary language and provide more, more diplomacy, the kind of work. I support the work that Dina does. I support the work of the Mansfield Center. The, these cross-cultural conversations, cross-cultural engagement are incredibly rich. So find ways to, to participate. Educate yourself about 
the issues that are that are here. It it will um, the the issues um, that particularly the issues that Native people face in violence against women, education that's um, inadequate, housing that's substandard, economic development and growth that's that's really challenged. I this is an opportunity to build bridges of understanding across culture. And that's a, a powerful, uh, a powerful way to make change in this country that has um, a legacy of a very dark history. So we, we can open our hearts, we can open our minds, we can open our, um, we can bring our very best attitude. Super. And Dina, you have a follow-up point there. Yeah, I, I just wanted to um, reiterate again that we, we have a variety of programs that I think supports very broadly differing interests in the state of Montana, that we support the entire state, that this is a critical time in our country where this isn't just affecting very narrowly people of color, Black people, Indigenous people, but it affects the, the safety, security, and well-being of all of us. So mm-hmm. as people look to get involved, um, that we can support them in whatever their greatest interests may be. This is a critical time, for example, in U.S.-China relations, that U.S. perceptions of China are at an all-time low. And yet China is critical for the economic success of the United States and of Montana, that this is an important market, uh, that there are certain ways that we need to be able to engage and to understand and educate um, the youth in each countries. So for people who are interested in Native American engagement and Black engagement in Asian engagement, um, we have a variety of programs, again, on our website um, where people can look to do more. And so, you know, I want to be respectful of, of your time. I can't tell you how much I appreciate the fact that the three of you would, would, would contribute time to this podcast on such short notice during such um, a time with incredible demands on, on on your schedule. So thank you not only for that, but more importantly, thank you for your leadership, your passion, and just the wonderful example of grace that the three of you are showing in this community. And, um, you know, hopefully we're, we're at a, an inflection point where, where more people will want to be a part of the solution and they'll want to be a part of the solution for as long as it takes. I mean, I think the three of you have raised that point that this is this is going to take a lot more than a few weeks of protest. I mean, this is a lot of history to rewrite and to correct, and that takes a lot of time and effort. Relentlessness is the, the word that you threw out there, Dina, and I appreciate that. Um, so thank you. And, uh, you know, I look forward to, to watching the work of your organizations and contributing in, in any way that I can. Thank you for being here. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a gift from University of Montana alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. And remember that A New Angle is supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you would ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps our awesome interns, Aspen Runkle and Max Gibson, Jeff Amet, John Wicks, and VTO for the tunes, and finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. 
Finally, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot and see you next time.